Well, welcome back to Crazy Fate Talk. I'm Sarah. I'm Erica. And I'm Steve. And friends, we are starting a new series today. Um, we have finished up talking about justice and what that looks like in the real world. And, and maybe in some ways we're still kind of talking about justice, but, but God's justice and how God views people. As we're going to be spending the next several weeks talking about sibling pairs and, and sibling relationships in Scripture particularly older brothers and younger brothers and what that looks like and who God tends to choose, who God tends to use in those relationships. So, uh, Steve, where are we going to kick off this series at? Well, um, so interestingly enough, the very, very first pair of brothers you have in the Bible, the very, very fat first pair of human siblings at all in the storytelling in Genesis, um, have one of these uh, great rivalries and reversals. So we're going to be spending some time at the very, very beginning, like Forlan Maria says in Sound Music, a very good place to start. In Genesis, uh, the early chapters, uh, in Genesis and following with uh, the story of Cain and Abel and uh, the lesser-known third brother, but very important, according to the Bible, for everybody else's existence, Seth. Um, so so uh, l- l- maybe maybe we should just set the scene there. The, in Genesis 4, you can find the beginning of the story. Uh, Adam and Eve are... Uh, thoroughly banished from the garden. They're making their living out in the suburbs uh, east of Eden, and uh, life now continues on for them, including the birth of children, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Um, the, the opening line of Genesis chapter 4 uh, introduces uh, that uh, Adam and Eve have their first son, and they name him Cain, um, which begins like a, a weird sort of a, a tradition in a lot of the Genesis stories of people's names being either puns or plays on words about something important about them. So um, Cain's name sounds vaguely like the Hebrew word Cain for I produced because they named their son Cain because Eve said, I produced a man with the help of the Lord. So they named their son basically product. <laughs> um, wow. I mean, I did a um, paper about this in in seminary, I think. Yeah. And, you know, because this was, you know, this is a very important moment for Eve that, you know, before this moment, God is the creator. God creates everything. And then here she is able to create life like God or as she, you know, also attributes it to God. So she creates life with God. She's now a co-creator with God. And Adam gets absolutely no credit. This is something <laughs> that she and God does. And Adam is, I guess, also there. This reminds me, I don't want to get too far down a rabbit trail, but this is just too delightful uh, a thing not to mention, is um, Mark Twain famously wrote these delightful pieces um, called The Diary of Adam and The Diary of Eve. There's just like fictional sort of imaginations of like what Adam and Eve would have written as their diaries. And um, it plays out like a 150-year-old romantic comedy because he plays up that like the, the like a, a opposites attract kind of a couple and that like uh, Adam wants to name the place Garden of Eden and she wants to name it Niagara Falls State Park. It, like there's a sort of recurring like humor to it. But one of my favorite parts about uh, is when, when kids come along in um, 
in his Diary of Adam and Eve um, is Adam goes out hunting. Like he spends weeks at a time going out to hunt and get food. And he comes back and he goes, she trapped something. She caught a little hairless cub. I don't know where it came from. <laughs> she said it was, <laughs> it's just like this delight. Like he has no idea what a small human is because, you know, he would have no idea what a small human is like. But so there's this running gag in, in Mark Twain's piece about how he can't find, he can't get any luck hunting things when he goes out and about. And here he comes back and she keeps c- catching these hairless cubs while he's away. <laughs> And then not letting him eat them, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's 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 really a, a funny piece as well, and there's some poignant moments as well. Um, maybe if we do another series sometime on on literature and faith in the Bible, uh, I'll trot out the the that that whole piece because it's just beautiful. But yeah, so it's a cool moment you, you mentioned, Sarah, that like something important happens in the story that now human beings are involved in the act of bringing forth creation, and and maybe like this is part of the, the commission they're given at the beginning in Genesis one, of now you are to be stewards and in, 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 to be in the image of God is now sharing this role of being uh, part of the creative process that that's part of what humans do. And I, I think important too, at this point, even though like most of us who know the story of Cain sort of view him in this villainous, Oh my goodness, what a terrible evil person he is that like, there's nothing sinful or wicked or wrong about this moment. Like, no, this is a good, beautiful thing for human beings to make human beings. Um, and that being fruitful and multiplying and that continuing of, of life, that's not seen as a shameful thing here. Um, even though later on Cain gets sort of brain, Oh my goodness, what a terrible person he is. But in this moment, there's none of that shadow cast yet. Yeah. It's a, at this moment, he's just a baby. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there's always the question of if, if time travel was real, like if we were capable of time travel, would you t- travel to the past to kill baby Hitler? <laughs> and, you know, the answer is at that point, he's just an innocent little baby. He hasn't done anything wrong yet. Right. Excellent point. So mental note to anybody listening who has access to a time machine, you'll probably cause more trouble if you try and stop baby Hitler. Yeah, he's just a baby. Just a baby. <clears throat> We're covering a lot of bases in this series already. That, that's great. <laughs> and, and Abel hasn't even been born yet. Yeah. Interestingly enough, in the very next sentence, we get the birth of Abel. And with less fanfare, after all this, I, she conceived and bore Cain and gave him a name and what the meaning of the name is and all that. I produced a man with the help of the Lord. Next, she bore his, he, she bore his brother Abel. And then, like, that's it. Uh, we don't know how many years apart. We don't know anything else. And we don't get anything of their childhood. We just get jumping up to Abel grows up to be a keeper of sheep. And Cain is a tiller of the ground. And a rivalry begins between the two of them. Right? Yeah. Yeah, because it's a, they they start this tradition of giving God their first, first fruits, basically. So, you know, for Abel, that's like the first lamb of the year. For Cain, it's like the first grains of the year or whatever. And they give them to God as an offering. And um, I don't think that this necessarily needed to turn into a rivalry. But um, God, who presumably is also new at relationships, (laughs) doesn't seem to realize that God shouldn't play favorites, maybe. And much prefers the um, roasted lamb over, you know, bread. It, it, it is weird that, like, without any explanation, we jump from humans in the garden 
talking in the company of God to in man, the very, very next generation, there's um, this assumption that the thing we should do for God is give some kind of sacrifices, even though we don't have any like story in between of God saying now, because you've been cast out of Eden, I now demand sacrifices. There's just this, oh, you know, I guess we should give some of this back, which, which again, seems at one level, like just basic gratitude, um, the same way that I hope I don't have to tell my kids to say thank you every time they get to eat. Hopefully in time they learn it's nice to say thank you. It's nice every so often if they offer me a biscuit instead of them eating them all, you know, whatever. Um, but um, that like there's a, there's a whole leap to now we're offering sacrifices and without any real description of why uh, Cain's is less preferred, his is less preferred and uh, Abel's is, is uh given special regard. Now, maybe you could tease out from the story that Abel goes out of his way to give the best parts to God. And all we hear from Cain is he just gave an offering from the ground uh, of, of something that, that he would produce. But the, the text doesn't underline that doesn't say, and this was the problem. If only Cain would have realized mm-hmm. if we would have brought honey crisp apples instead of Johnny, you know, uh, red or something like that, God would have been happier. We don't get any of that, but this becomes a rivalry. Well, it's not in this story, but I want to say that there are other places in the Old Testament where, like, the text specifically says that the, like, the smell of the roasted meats was pleasing to God. That, you know, there there always seems to be sort of a, a joke that God is not a vegetarian, <laughs> that God very much prefers roasted meats over other offerings. And later on, you could say, I mean, later on, there's there's a developing theology of sacrifice in the in the both Testaments and Old and New Testament about the idea that without the shedding of blood, there's no removing of sin. I mean, there's that kind of imagery later on in Hebrews and the whole sacrificial system in in Leviticus sort of assumes that there are times when uh, the death of something is needed to provide for the life of other things. Um, but again, that, that gets a lot, that's a lot further down the road in development. And again, here, there's not any particular sense that these guys are offering their offerings because they're sorry for their sins either. Like, it's just, it seems like they're offering things back to God. And there's no, again, there's no real motive ascribed to them about what they think they're doing, why they think they're supposed to offer things to God or who told them they're supposed to. It's just what they're doing. But pretty quickly, um, once Cain senses that there's this difference, that his gift was found lacking and that Abel's was found acceptable, instead of Cain dealing with his own issues and going like, huh, what do I got to do to get myself, you know, approval or something? You know, what, what should I do to improve my offering? He assumes that the solution is I'll get rid of Abel and then God will have to like me. Except he doesn't. Right, right, right. <laughs> So yeah, yeah like like the the it, it doesn't take very long for after this this sort of rivalry about their offerings that um uh Cain is angry and there's a, it's interesting that now God speaks directly to Cain and God's answer to Cain is why are you so angry why is your countenance fallen you know why why are you looking so grumbly um you know if if you do well uh why won't won't your uh won't your your offering be accepted and if you don't now there's this interesting for the first time the notion of sin gets mentioned sin is lurking at the door its desire is for you but you must master it so that like this is this is one of those weird moments in these early stories where god refers to things that humans 
don't exactly understand yet. Like at the beginning when uh, they're in the garden and God says, if you eat from the fruit, you'll die. They're like, I don't know what death is. What, what, what does that mean? Um, and, and then they have to experience the consequences. And here there's this, uh, you know, be careful, watch yourself because sin is coming. This is the first time that action is referred to as sin in the, um, in the old Testament or anywhere in the Bible then. Um, and it seems like God is saying to Cain, you have the ability to handle this well or not well. You can either you know, deal with this in a way that uh, you deal with your own issues instead of blaming somebody else, or uh, you can handle this immaturely and make somebody else the, the problem and attack them instead of dealing with your own stuff. So, um, so what I always find so interesting about, you know, Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel is I you know, I double majored in religion and history. And so, you know, history is very important to me. And it's, it's kind of, you know, it's, it's a great teacher, because you can kind of look back in history and see who are those types of people that you definitely do not want to be like, and who are those (laughs) who you do want to be like. And Cain and Abel do not have that, right? Like they have so little concept of what's right and what's wrong. Um, you know, there are no t- 10 commandments to tell them thou shall not murder because they don't know what that is. You know, who knows if they understood the concept of even stealing. Like right. it's, they don't have, they, they don't have any history to look back and like try to help them determine who they want to be as people. Right, 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 and uh, the 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 I, I guess the 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 storytelling in Genesis four like seems to think that they should understand uh, not to harm each other, but yeah, without without this sense of look to the example of your great grandfather who never murdered anybody. There, yeah, there's there's no precedent. They have very little in the way of role models, but there seems to be the sense that like Cain should understand um, in some way. Well, I, 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 it seems to me like the, the, the text assumes Cain should know not to murder people, even though he doesn't have a commandment in stone for it. Um, but where that comes from, it seems like the, the Bible has this default sense of it, it should it should be like universally understood. We're not supposed to harm one another. And yet, um, uh, yeah, there, there's not the formality of, of stone commandments or anything like that yet. But it, despite the fact that, that God seems to assume Cain should know better. Cain's solution is he invites his brother out into the field <laughs> um, and Abel totally doesn't suspect anything. Sure, let's go out in the field. What's going to happen in the field? Uh, I mean, like it's like this sort of puppy dog moment. Sure, Cain, what are we going to do, bud? Um, and there Cain kills his brother. Um, and then there is this really, really haunting next piece where God comes with a question for Cain, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, God asked Cain... Where is your brother Abel? And he's like, I, I don't know. <laughs> and I'm in and, charge of him. And Cain's response uh, is this now famous question um, that 
in a sense, I, I read somebody recently, say, uh, a rabbi who says, the entire Bible is a commentary of God's answer to Cain's question. And that Cain's, at this point, asks, am I my brother's keeper? And so uh, one rabbinical source at least says, the whole Bible is the answer to that question. Yes, yes, we are our brothers and sisters keepers. Um, but like, this, so here's this rhetorical question. Am I supposed to be in charge of my brother? And the fact that it goes begging, yeah, you were supposed to one to take care of your brother not to kill him <laughs> um and that like so here's here's this moment where so quickly uh relationships have gotten just broken all around like the 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 stakes might have seemed small in the garden when it was just a piece of fruit and a talking snake uh uh, but now this is uh, within one generation we are we are alienated from god alienated from each other alienated from creation everything is broken now and the older brother who is supposed to care for his younger brother has not done that and yet even in death the older brother is the one getting the notice from god you know we get after this you know am i my brother's keeper um you know god says to to cain your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. I mean, still, this younger brother is the one that God favors, the one that God, you know, cares for. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Although, um, I'm going to put a little um, footnote to that. Uh, God does still ca- care for Cain because yeah. almost immediately, like, when, um, you know, like, so, so God is going to be casting... Cain out like that the the ground is now cursed for him he's not going to continue being the tiller of the ground um and he's going to be cast out and Cain says you know my punishment is too great for me to bear you know if anybody comes upon me they're going to kill me at, for revenge for Abel and God says no not so like I will leave my mark on you anybody who kills you I will punish like sevenfold or something. Yeah. So, you know, I've, yes, God seems to definitely be favoring Abel throughout this entire story, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean that God doesn't also care for Cain. That's a really, really important point, Sarah, because it, it seems like that's going to be a note we're going to have to keep looking at throughout this whole series that even though there's like a sense of reversal again and again and again, when God lifts up the lowlier, younger sibling, as often happens in these stories, that doesn't mean that the older brother is becomes automatically a villain or hated or whatever, that God reserves the right to love both, but that that love has this sort of surprising, whoever is the one who's on the bottom. So younger brother, all right, you get lifted up. Oh, now the first one, you feel like chopped liver, don't worry, you're protected too. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's going to happen again and again and again. Um, almost in a way that like wherever you are in the story, whoever you identify with in the story, you both have a moment of sort of having the rug pulled out from under you and then also a moment of being lifted up at the same time. It it, it seems to me interesting too um, that at this point, it, the way Genesis tells the story, we we had a world population of four human beings now brought down to three human beings. And Cain's first thought is if anybody finds me, they will kill me to get revenge on my brother. Like anybody that will, the only people left are mom and dad. Um, uh, and yet like the, the, this is one of those places where like the, it seems like the storytelling like is aware of the ambiguity of like, where do Cain and Abel's or where do Cain and Seth's wives come from? I don't know. We're not going to ask that question. It's just sort of like one of those, like, 
I don't know. Are there other people? I, I don't know. We're not, we don't tell that story. We don't get an answer. So like, why is Kane upset? Someone might hunt him down in vengeance. Doesn't he just mean mom and dad? I, I don't know. Maybe he means other people who we don't know about. Um, but the, the, the text sort of just leaves that hanging there and doesn't resolve it in ways I wish it would. I wish it would be like, and here's the answer to that question. Here's where Cain and Seth's wives come from. Or here's who Cain is afraid of. We'll, we'll hunt him down. Don't get that answer. So we just have to sort of live with the ambiguity, I guess. Um, so after this story, after after Cain has been sort of found out by God, uh, he goes into to exile. He becomes a wanderer and goes, the text says, to the land of Nod, east of Eden. And Nod is, is uh, the Hebrew word for wandering, too. So it's, again, one of those place names that it's just a, he goes to wandering land. Um, and at this point, then there's this open question, what will happen to, like, humanity? Because now we're down to three people, and one of them it has just decided to go wander off by himself and be a loner. Um, what will happen now? And so so eventually, uh, there's uh, Cain has descendants. We again, we don't know where Cain gets his wife from. It just says Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. Okay, and um, then we get. Um, and then, wait, wait, wait! I think this is one of my favorite lines. Enoch decides to build a city. Yeah, and named it Enoch after his son. Enoch. Oh wait, no. <laughs> Cain built the city. Anyway, somebody built a city. A whole city, and now, you know, the population in theory is Adam, Eve, Cain, Cain's mysterious wife, and baby Enoch. Yeah, <laughs> but he built a city. It, like, like again, there, there are places where the, 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 the storytelling seems to be aware that there's lots of other interesting questions you can ask, and it's not interested in addressing those questions it, it's got an agenda. The, the, the point yeah. of the story is Genesis has held on to it is it's going to tell us about the, the story that gets traced between God and, and some of these peoples that eventually becomes the story of Israel and eventually becomes uh, the story of Jesus. Um, but yeah, yes. there's lots, lots of open questions there. Civilization is beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so it's in these early stories we get things like, and so-and-so was the first hunter, and so-and-so was the first, you know, leather worker, and so-and-so was the first. So we get those those kind of uh, firsts um, and without filling in all the details in the background. It, it, it's it's like the, the, the storytellers felt like that's not details you need to know right now. I'm going to – I'm trying to get the story to so we can get to Abraham and then so we can get to uh, the, the rest of the narrative from there. Um, but eventually – uh, Adam and Eve have another son, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. But it, it, he's he's kind of like the third Hemsworth brother. <laughs> you know, I think a lot of people know who he is, like know that he exists, but like you have to like think for a minute. Who's the third one? Oh, yeah. yes. In this in this case, it's Seth. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and his. Um, his birth story is again relatively subdued. Uh, once again, Adam and Eve, uh, Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and named him Seth. For she said, "God has appointed for me another child instead of Abel, because Cain killed him." And there you go. Um, like that. I think the Hebrew word for Seth is similar to the word appointed. Yeah. So I don't yeah. ever play on words of like, um, you know, oh yes. Eve bore another son. His name is appointed. 
Yeah, yeah. The, like th- this, this becomes sort of a formula in these or- early stories that even if we aren't uh, uh, fluent Hebrew speakers, you can kind of tell when there's something important going on in the name because it'll be they named him such and such because, and then the rest of the sentence basically yeah. tells you what the meaning of the name is. And sometimes yeah. all these place names will be like that too, and they named the place such and such because. Um, so, like side note too. There's that famous hymn um, with the line, here I raise my Ebenezer. Uh, and that's like one of those places where like most people no longer know that the word uh, Ebenezer uh, is from the Hebrew, from the story about the stone of help or something like that. And we're like, our references for the word Ebenezer are just Scrooge or McDuck. Um, <laughs> uh, and, but like there, there's a number of places where the Hebrew assumes you, you get the meaning of names and we have to stop and either look at the notes in our Bibles or um, uh, ask a little more deeply, why is this name important and why is this getting remembered this way? But yeah. So, so, okay. So at this point, the, the, the story picks up and you eventually get a bunch of descendants uh, that are traced through Seth's line. Um, and that eventually gets us to Noah. And basically from there, we start all over again with Noah and his descendants too. But I guess I'm, I'm wanting to ask here um, a, 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 maybe a, a zoomed out question about the, the meaning of all this. Like um, why, why do you suppose these stories are remembered the way they are? Why do you suppose they get held on to when there's lots of questions we wish it answered that it doesn't. And there are some parts that maybe feel embarrassing to us. Like, um, I, I don't know, like why, why so quickly are we at murder? Um, why, why are these stories held on to the way they are? I think for me, it's going back to that question about history and about how we are in relationship to one another. And one of the first most basic questions about how do we live together is, you know, how do we live together without killing each other? Yeah. Because we can't live together if we're constantly killing each other. And so I think that is such a basic foundation of how do we live together in community is, well, then we need to establish some things. And one of those things we need to establish is don't kill each other. Murder is bad. <laughs> um, and, and so then like that part of why this story gets held on to isn't just what's the list of names of people that get us from Adam to Noah or Adam to Abraham, but this important, like that, that in, in a sense, <clears throat> Cain's question really does become our question all our lives long. Are, are we, meant to be responsible for the lives of our sisters and brothers of people around us, even if there's hostility between us. And that, and like, that seems important too, that like when Cain asked the question, am I my brother's keeper? The answer isn't, well, you're all, you're off the hook because you didn't like him. So you don't have to take care of him. No, even when you don't like him, you still bear responsibility to take care of one another, just like he would have responsibility to take care of you, even though you've treated him like a jerk. Yeah. And I think even to the, the point of like, Cain killed Abel, but that doesn't mean that Adam can then go and kill Cain. Right, right, right. That's still that's still murder. That's not living together. Like, you know, don't kill don't kill somebody just because that person has killed somebody else. Right, right, right. And that um, mutual assured destruction, even if that sounds like it's it's justice and everybody gets you know their fair punishment that that's not good at all right then then we're all dead right that that's not helpful at all 
it, it's sort of that that reminder of the line that um, if if we all pursue an eye for an eye, eventually we're all blind. You know, we're all, you know, we've all just jabbed each other's eyes out, and, and there's nothing good out of that. Yeah. Uh, it seems to me too that even though in this story of Cain and Abel, there's um, not a whole lot necessarily in the text saying that Cain sh- is expected to be given preference because he's the firstborn. There is sort of a momentousness to his arrival on the scene that makes Abel second fiddle until they get older. And that, like, it's beginning to set up what will become attention in a lot of the stories we're going to look at how what becomes civilization or what becomes society eventually says firstborn matters secondborn not as important and that becomes sort of part of how god's reversal ends up playing out that where human beings set up this assumption of you're the one who matters you're the one who doesn't matter god almost immediately latches on to who's been told they don't matter and lifts them up um not for the sake of um, belittling or destroying whoever was first born before, but to, like, to just overturn the whole idea of that someone has to matter more than somebody else. And I think far too often we, we think of that as a New Testament concept with Jesus. Mm-hmm. The last, the lost. Um, but I mean, from here, from Genesis 4 forward, we're seeing the, the lesser, the, the younger brother, the, the younger sibling, you know, being lifted up, being favored in some way. Not to say that, you know, as you pointed out before that the older sibling, the oldest brother isn't taken care of, but that God cares just as much for the younger sibling as he does for the eldest, which society says we should care more about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it, it may be worth to, while we're in the neighborhood of this story, <clears throat> to mention that there comes a point later on in the book of Hebrews that once again calls back to this story and talks about how Jesus coming is yet even greater than anybody who's come before and that Jesus' blood, the writer of Hebrews says, speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. I, I love that idea that like, mm-hmm. so, you know, here, here's dead Abel and his blood laying on the ground is this is this like witness against Cain that it's like, look well, how terrible we human beings are when we do these terrible things to each other. And the writer of Hebrews says, the blood of Jesus speaks a better word that instead of accusing us, the blood of Jesus says, this is what God's willing to go to for our redemption, that God's willing to bleed for us, that God's willing to take on death for us, um, so that the last word spoken about us isn't just, look how terrible we are, but that even despite the ways we are violent toward each other, God doesn't let that be the last word on us. That 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 seems a, a really powerful move that the writer of Hebrews makes. Um, I, I, are, there, are there other things in this story itself that seem like they're worth lifting up or, or that are important to, um, to, to, to mention or to, to highlight? Something I think, um, and this is, it seems kind of minor, but it, it might be of importance too. When we get into chapter five of Genesis and we start talking about the generations from Adam to Noah, we lose Cain completely. Like, Yes, we know God took care of Cain. He protected him. He kept anyone else from from murdering him and all that. But again, we see the youngest brother uh, of the three, Seth, being the one whose bloodline is then carried through to Noah. So again, it's a way of God lifting up the younger, um, maybe a little bit more above the the eldest. Mm -hmm. Um, Which, I mean, it's, it's, it's a little thing, but it's an important thing, I think, to point out. Yeah, yeah. Have, have you guys ever seen the uh, Russell Crowe movie Noah? Mm-mm. 
um, Once Upon a Time on Netflix, I think. <laughs> it's, a, it's a fascinating movie, but it is not like very true to the Bible. Yeah. Except for like, very specific details. And that is a detail that is in that movie where it seems to be Seth's descendants versus Cain's descendants. And yeah. Cain's descendants are kind of, um, they're very much, uh, they're, they're very rough and seem to be uncultured and very like unlawful. Whereas like Seth's descendants are um, righteous and uh, tend to take baths and you know <laughs> all of those stereotypes but like that that seems to be a piece at least in the Russell Crowe movie is um it is Seth's, Seth's descendants versus Cain there's and like a as hint- we all know Seth wins <laughs> there, there's a there's a hint of that in the biblical text at the end of uh, Genesis 4 um after we get Cain um and his son Enoch and as you pointed out Sarah he built a city to name after his son with a population of five, maybe. Um, but uh, then you get a couple other descendants uh, mentioned uh, who are descendants of Cain. And pretty quickly, you get a, a guy named Lamech who um, the, the one pull quote he gets remembered for is, uh, I killed somebody for wounding me. Um, but if somebody tries to get revenge on me, may they get revenge on them 77 fold. Uh, so like, there's just this, like this pattern of revenge or this pattern of violence for violence that is, uh, sort of at at the heart of the Kane family tradition. So uh, other, other families pass on the China or the good silverware and Kane's Kane's family inheritance is well, in our family, we kill each other. When, when somebody does something, we threaten violence and we invoke oaths against each other. I, and, and well, I, I, I guess in a way, um, your your point, sir, about the, the the Russell Crowe movie is, yeah, the Bible doesn't actually go on to imagine these as two separate tribes of people who are so distinctive. Like in a sense, it's almost like the biblical text kind of is laying out the beginnings of how we deal with our rottenness to each other. And one approach is the Cain approach, which is, uh, I will kill you first, or if. Uh, I just wound you. There's this threat of I'll hurt you more. This sort of like might equals right kind of mentality. And there's the alternative. Um, Or if if I'm not going to live that way, what are the alternatives for how we live together? If it's not every time I feel threatened, I kill you or threaten to kill you. Um, And again, maybe, maybe again, the the Bible's bigger question is, yeah, what, what kind of relation are we made for? Because it seems like conflict or tension between human beings is inevitable. The, the, Maybe the the real question is how do we deal with them, um, and when there are conflicts or disagreements, does it have to come to killing each other, or are there other ways we can deal with things? I think that is certainly something that we can continue to explore as we look at more brothers in the Bible. That sounds like a good idea, Sarah. So, how about we'll we'll invite you to join us for further conversation next time here on Crazy Faith Talk. See y'all. Bye.